Hey, everybody, it's JT from Grilling at the Green. John Breaker and the great folks at Birdie Ball have a short time offer for all of you listeners. You just go to birdieball.com, and when you place your order, there's a place on that form for a discount code. Use G-A-T-G. That's G-A-T-G. Of course, it stands for Grilling at the Green. And you will get 20% off anything you order from birdieball.com. Now, it's a short-time offer. It expires in about a week, so you want to get on it. Go to birdieball.com, place your order, uh, use the code G-A-T-G, and get 20% off. You heard it here on Grilling at the Green. It's time for Grilling at the Green. Join Jeff Tracy as he explores the golfing lifestyle and tries to keep it in the short grass for the hackers, dew sweepers, and turf spankers. Here's Jeff. Just open up the door and let's take good times in. Hey everybody, welcome to Grilling at the Green here on AM860, The Answer and the Golf News Network. I'm your host, JT. This is the show where we talk about golf and the interesting and fascinating people who share that same passion for the game as you and I have. Today, it's a real honor to talk to John Hawkins, the hawk there, not the Ben Hogan hawk, the journalist hawk, John Hawkins. Uh, John has worked with newspapers, Golf Digest, Golf Magazine, Golf World, uh, has done podcasts. He did the Grey Goose thing for Golf Channel. He's done all kinds of stuff. And we're going to be talking to him in just a minute. Our music today is from Alan Jackson. And this segment, of course, is brought to you by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef the way nature intended. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. And uh, so, big welcome to John Hawkins. Hey, buddy. Hey, JT. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. No problem. I've always wanted to chat with you, and so we finally got a chance here. So, just for grins and giggles, um, how did you how did you get started writing about golf? Was it always a passion since you were a toddler, or something you fell into? No, I I was uh, a bit of a flunky in school, but when I was uh, 21, 22, I went down to the local newspaper in Baltimore. I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, uh, got a, managed to work my way to the office of a guy named Bob Paston. He was running the sports department at the time, and uh, uh, he hired me the, ne- the next month. Uh, to start the next month on an internship. I did that until the newspaper closed in 86. I actually covered mainstream sports from uh, late 83 until uh, – the summer of 95, in 1995, they played the U.S. Uh, Senior Open in Washington, D.C., and uh, the national golf media descended upon our nation's capital. And uh, <laughs> I wrote, I guess I wrote a couple pretty good pieces because the guys at Golf World asked me if I'd be interested in working for them. And I said, well, hell yeah. You know, it, JT, it, it came down to I got a little bit tired of being asked to do anatomical impossibilities by people like Barry Bonds and Bobby Bonilla. Right. Baseball players were just the worst. Uh, you know, it was, a, it was a totally different type of species, a human species covering <laughs> golf, I realized right away. Uh, I got to Golf World on uh, Labor Day weekend in 95. In fact, I left, uh, I left Maryland the same day Cal Ripken broke uh, Lou Gehrig's all-time uh, consecutive games played record, which – Wow. Oh, that was, I just remember that. Yeah. So, uh, and I was at Golf World for 14 years. A couple of those years overlap with Golf Channel. How did I get involved in golf? I don't, I did not pick up a club until I was probably 25. 
And when I got to be uh, in my late 20s, I decided to, to get serious about it. I spent every night for basically a year and a half hitting balls and uh, got myself into uh, turned myself into a decent little player. And, uh, and that's kind of how, and, you know, and I just, as I continued to cover golf, you know, my career uh, covering the PGA tour on site coincided almost directly with, with the Tigers. So sure. uh, I thought, yeah, I caught the game at the right time, and uh, the rest is definitely not history, but uh, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun, a total a total blast. Well, I know Jeff Rude, who speaks highly of you, but he also said that I asked him on one of the shows he was on, who was the better stick, you or him, and he kind of hemmed and hawed, and he said, well, I think Hawk is. So <laughs> I got – Well, he, he plays more. I don't play much anymore. I, I had a uh, – couple of health issues, a retinal detachment. Oh, that's no fun. Yeah. It, when, when, you know, I'm standing in the shadows and when you're standing in the shadows and you used to be a two handicap and you start hitting ground balls, uh, you get, uh, yeah, you get a little discouraged, but, uh, uh, I still love the game. I mean, I, I tell my buddies, I said, I'll come out and watch you play, but I'm, uh, my playing dates are, are on, are, are on suspension for now, but uh, still love the game and uh, still very active in, in covering it and uh, enjoy doing uh, the work I do for Morning Read and uh, the podcast we do. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, you do a podcast, uh, Hawk and Perk, and um, then you do. I read your stuff every day because I get Morning Read comes into my box. So whenever you've got something in there, I uh, I definitely pour over it all the time. And I always like your perspective. I'm not saying that just because you're a guest on the show, but I've always liked your perspective because you having been, uh, I think a general sports writer and then kind of coming up through the ranks, like, a you know, a lot of the people that cover golf. Um, right. I just like your perspective because you can always do an analysis between that and baseball or that and football or, uh, horse racing, whatever it is. And it's, it's, a it's very good uh, for a guy like me who's been in the media for a long time and knows a lot of, a little bit about everything, but not much about anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, well, I think it's, I think that what, what mainstream sports writers brought to golf when they became full-time golf writers was a different perspective. Uh, back in the newspaper business, uh, very much up until, newspapers began to fade away. They sort of had the ninth guy or the eighth or ninth guy in the batting lineup cover golf. You know, it was yeah. usually the older guy who didn't want to, uh, you know, travel much or, or, or deal with the rigors of covering baseball or football where you spent God almighty. I mean, I can't tell you how many hours of my life I spent waiting for Joe Gibbs to come out and talk to the media for 15 minutes and, ne- and not really say a whole lot. Right. Gibbs great coach but he wasn't going to give the media much he just spent a lot of time sitting uh, hurry up and hurrying up and waiting and um i think what happened you, 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 the the guys who covered mainstream sports brought a more uh critical eye to to golf and i'm not afraid to tell people not so much how i feel but how it is and mm-hmm. golf has golf has inherent problems like like any other sport, but one thing golf is, is it's, it, it's a, it's a game of great character and the men who play it better than anybody else in the world are very good people. 
they can get a little tough at times. You never wanted to talk to Mark Alcovecchi after he bogeyed the 18th hole. Right. But uh, for the most part, guys are civil and they uh, treat you with respect and they're, and they're accessible. And that was something I always enjoyed when covering golf. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's very true. Your observations are there. And I'm not sure that, <clears throat> and, I, and I'm not saying anything against my own media stuff here, because this obviously after it airs on the radio and stuff, it goes out on the podcast platforms and you do podcasts and things. But to me, there's just something, I guess, showing my age that, when you get an actual one-on-one with a player and you develop a rapport with a player and they come by and they say, Hey John, how you doing? And you, and you say, you know, yeah. Well, hey DJ, yeah, can I talk to you after the round? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would count dozens of players as, as friends. Uh, most of them are on the senior tour now, not to show my age, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's probably a little different now. Um, you know, agents were always our kind of the equivalent of, of termites in our world. Um, <laughs> you know, you had to get past the agent. The agent always wanted to control access with the bigger players. But guys like Mickelson, I got to know very well. Uh, Ernie Owls, great guy. You know, David Duvall, we still talk. Uh, don't talk to Tiger as much, or haven't talked to Tiger in years. But uh, Tiger and I got to be pretty close and. Uh, early on and, and right up until he got married uh, to Elon, and then he then he really became a rock star. Then he then he then he got bigger than than any of us could have imagined. But yeah, you develop individual relationships. They learn to trust you. They appreciate your honesty and your subjectivity. And uh, at the end of the day, the, I don't think the players mind being criticized. They don't like to be criticized unfairly. Uh, the best players in the world are alpha males. Uh, they expect excellence, and when they don't achieve it, um, they're, as, they're as pissed off as anybody. Oh, uh, sure. More pissed off than anybody. So, um, you know, I think uh, you, you got to know where to step and when to step there. Um, you sort of gain that after, you know, being out there for years. And, you know, much like Jeff, uh, Jeff Root, I, I uh, spent a lot of – I did not like sitting in the press room, and uh, I like to go out on the range and on the practice green and – talk to players and that was uh that's really how i was able to clean my knowledge uh oh yeah and it still still translates to this day yep we're going to take a break here on grilling at the green we're going to be back with john hawkins talk some more about his fascinating career and golf right after this please stay with us hi everybody it's jt and this is a special version of grilling at the green grilling at the green is brought to you in part by painted hills natural beef beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends that's painted hills natural beef hey welcome back to grilling at the green here on am860 the answer and the golf news network and uh, we're doing some fun stuff i'm gonna like i've told you i'm kind of teased you a little bit out there uh i'm starting to do some cooking john doesn't know this but i'm a cook too uh, on TV, and uh, we're gonna start wow. doing doing That's those. Pretty cool. Yeah, we're gonna start doing those golf uh, little barbecue segments, and they'll be on uh, Amazon, Apple, and Hulu TV to start with. So there you go. That'll be some fun stuff. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. When it comes to eating, I'm a I'm a plus two. <laughs> okay, good man. Yeah, I'm I'm better than scratch when it comes to consuming uh, uh, calories. There you go. 
There you go. Yeah, I um, you, you can take a look at me, John. We'll probably meet one day in person, and you'll know that I have not missed too many meals. Just put it that way. <laughs> well, I'm with you, man. Too many meals. Hey, wh- what over the years do you think was the toughest part of your job as a covering golf? The toughest part of my job is was uh, writing a 2,200, 2,400-word game story off a major overnight. Because, uh, you know, majors end at, what, 7, 8 o'clock usually? Right. And looking for a weekly magazine that, that went out the door on Mondays, some knucklehead had to had to write the, the, the league piece. And <laughs> oftentimes, oftentimes, golf tournaments are lost more than uh, – golf, many golf tournaments are not won as much as they are lost by somebody. And yeah. obviously the 1999 British Open comes to mind with Vandeville, but there have been many others over the years. And trying to find the proper balance and a uh, – a suitable perspective to frame everything for the reader uh, could be a difficult task. You also wanted to, to write well. And at that time of the day, eight, nine o'clock, uh, you really, you've already spent the entire day watching the golf tournament. Sometimes it was in 80 or 90 degree weather and, you know, fatigue would set in. So um, that was difficult. It was very rewarding when you were done, but jeez, uh, I remember, uh, the 1997 British Open, uh, Jesper Parnovic led uh, for, for much of the way. Uh, uh, Justin Leonard uh, made a, a, a trio of long putts on the final nine to overtake Parnovic and win the tournament. And that thing didn't end until really late. Uh, and I, that, was, that was a tough one. But uh, that was, you know... I don't know that there's a lot of people that could do that unless you had a background in writing baseball on deadline. I, I right. covered a no hitter on deadline uh, back in the mid eighties uh, up to even late, as late as uh, uh, 93, 94, I was doing, uh, you know, Riddick Bowe, the, the people probably don't remember Riddick Bowe, but he was a heavyweight champ. He was from DC. So uh, from Washington, DC. So we cover fights that covered fight with uh when he fought uh holyfield i believe that was the one where the guy crashed with came in off the parachute and fell into the stands and i mean all all hell's breaking <laughs> loose it, it's 11 o'clock eastern because the fight's in vegas and you got to try to write you know in that case 800 to a thousand words and try to tell everybody what happened and not sound like a complete idiot doing it uh that training really helped me uh, when it came to a, a slower paced game such as golf uh, in terms of trying to define uh, what I'd seen that week in a, in a lengthy piece. Yeah, I think too, John, and, and I know, like I said, you do television, you do um, podcasts and things. And, and I actually think any of that type of training, I know my writing training, uh, I didn't work for dailies ever. I worked for kind of weeklies or, um, freelance stuff. But I think that all helps when you like, even when you're doing radio or TV, I think all that timing and getting used to that, I think that really helps the person myself. That's what I think. But, um, well, I, I do too. I think, I think, you know, when I went to do TV, you know, a, that was a completely different type of thing. I mean, 
that was a little bit more like this, where you're responding to something, a question or a comment mm -hmm. or a, 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 a snippet of, of, of video. And one of the things, the great things about writing that will never change, although it has been dramatically uh, diminished, uh, the long form journalism has been dramatically uh, downsized in recent years. I mean, now we all know about, uh, you know, reduced attention spans and, you know, you get 140 characters or whatever it is on <laughs> yeah, Twitter. And, yeah. and, you know, everybody wants it quickly and they want it now and to hell with whether it's right or not. But um, when you're writing, there's a, there's, a, there's a respect. When people sit down to read something that is of any type of length, uh, it, it should be good. You've had time to, to prepare it. It's like it's like cooking a meal. It's it, it 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 should taste good. It should be it should be correct. Yes. And it's not always these days. But working for weeklies and dailies, and doing a little bit of work for Golf Digest, in addition to the immediacy of television, I've been fortunate enough to 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 dabble in all types of media mm -hmm. and I feel like I have a pretty good perspective on the differences and also you know you're trying to entertain when you're when you're on more so when you're on television or right. with the spoken word and so uh, it's it's a little bit of a juggling act it's uh it's fun it's fascinating it's challenging and uh, it's also very rewarding so I'm very very fortunate and over the course of uh, the last, uh, gosh, 35 years, I'm 59 now. So, you know, I've, I've uh, been around a while and I know a lot about the game and I enjoy uh, translating my thoughts to others in these various forms. So the big question is, is like, I, <clears throat> excuse me, sent you in the email this morning. Did Greg Goose let you take the samples home? <laughs> no, I was, uh, you know, Greg Goose sponsored the show, but they really weren't. They were like the absentee owner, you know. They didn't. I don't think I ever met anybody from the vodka company. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that was probably by design. The Golf Channel didn't <laughs> want us. Uh, you know, that was a sales thing. I mean, it, it could have been named after a tire company or a. Sure. Uh, nowadays, it would be named after a cell phone carrier, but uh, uh, no, never, never, never dabbled in the product. I, I love doing that show. It was so much fun. I mean, you'd think, God, it's not going to last forever. But I did uh, four years of it. Uh, you know, they kind of killed the show. It, it, I guess it wasn't sexy enough. I mean, anybody who's been watching the Golf Channel over the years, JT knows how much it's changed. Oh, yeah. And it's much more much more homogenized now you were good we're going to take a break we're going to be back with john hawkins right after this on grilling at the green please stay with us hey it's jt and this part of grilling at the green is brought to you in part by ben hogan golf check them out online at benhogangolf.com Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I'm your host, JT. I'd like to thank uh, the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef, Beef the Way Nature Intended, and also the folks down uh, Scott White and his crew at Ben Hogan Golf. Two are quality clubs at factory direct prices. You can check it out at benhogangolf.com. Uh, and also the folks down at Langdon Farms, uh, they're back open. I had lunch there the other day, if you saw my tweet, and it's the first time I'd sat in a restaurant for probably two or three months. Anyway, Langdon uh, Farms Grill is open. 
bringing back their prime rib on Friday night. So we're talking with John Hawkins here, who, uh, if you pay any attention to golf at, at all, John has a very long and storied and in a positive way career with, uh, you know, not only Golf Channel, Golf World, Golf Digest. Now he's working with Morning Read and all that. So I got a couple standard questions I need to, I kind of ask everybody, John. So I'm going to fire them at you. Fire away. Okay. Um, who was the biggest influence on you personally as a writer? Wow. That's a good one. Probably a guy named Mike Keating when I worked at the Washington Times from 1987 to 1995. Mike will never hear this, I'm sure. I don't even know if he's still with us. But he was a very bright guy, very tough. This is a guy that he wouldn't want me to tell him this story on the air. But he got shot in the head in like a crazy burglary deal. He walked right in, into it. He got shot in the head execution style was back at work not only did he live through it he was back working six weeks later he was a two or three handicap uh he knew i was kind of a wild child he thought he saw some ability in me he's really the reason i began to play became a serious golfer because he was a very serious golfer but he was also an exceptionally bright guy son of an air force pilot who uh wasn't particularly the best writer himself, but he was unbelievably good at detecting good writing from bad, detecting pretty good from so-so. And he taught me so much about the written word, how to construct. I was a, I was a crappy student at, at Towson University in Maryland. I, I, you know, it was a commuter school and I didn't take it seriously. Uh, you know, I, I was telling my kids the other day, JT, the, the state of Maryland had the had the brilliance to to lower the drinking age to eighteen, right? <laughs> right when I turned seventeen. <laughs> so I had, and that lasted, and we we got rid of that law pretty quickly. But uh, you know, I, I was a bit of a of a punk, um, but I knew I could write a little, but through a couple of editors, a guy named Mark Snyder in Baltimore, uh, Mike Keating, as I mentioned. And then by the time I got to golf world in 95, by the time I, I became a full-time golf writer, I felt like I felt confident enough in my abilities. I mean, uh, writing is a little bit like dancing uh, by yourself at, at a wedding and without any alcohol in you. Oh, if you're out there on the floor and you perform. You know, we don't all we don't all move like like John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever or, uh, boy, I really show my age now. Aren't I? But I think you, you 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 pick things up as you go along. I always have taken a lot of pride in my ability to craft decent stories, and um, but I would say Mike Keating, uh, okay, obscure guy. He's a Sports editor at the Washington Times for many years. Did you ever have a, a wow moment, John, that, you know, whether it was Tiger winning by 12 or Phil's vertical leap of 4.3 inches or whatever it was? <laughs> Did you ever have a real wow uh, moment covering golf? I, I could tell you some stories. Uh, 
I'll tell you, when I saw, here's what first comes to mind. And I, I hope I'm not going to get in trouble for saying Rude Knight, Jeff Rude Knight. Jeff Rude used to, came up with a nickname for Tiger early on, Black Jesus. Yeah. And it was kind of a, he stole it from, you know, that's what they used to call Earl Monroe. Right. When, when I was a little kid and Earl Monroe was such an incredible ball handler and big time scorer for the Baltimore Bullets. Um, we were at a golf tournament. It was the, uh, we were at a golf tournament. It was the 2000 uh, Pebble Beach Pro-Am, not the U.S. Open that he would win by 15 a few months later. But this was uh, in February at the, at the uh, Clambake. And uh, Matt Gogol led the tournament. Tiger was seven back with nine to go. That's when he, he holed out on the 15th for Eagle. And it was a Monday finish. And so the deadline is just incredibly difficult. You've got, you've got to turn this thing around immediately and get it to the folks back in Connecticut so they can ship the magazine to Memphis and get the thing in the readers' hands by Wednesday. And this is back in the old days. So Tiger just starts, you know, birdieing holes. And Gogol's not really doing anything wrong, but he's making pars. And uh, then Tiger holds out for a two on 15. And the whole press room goes nuts. I mean, just explodes. And a writer, and I don't remember, I thought it was rude, but he says it wasn't. A writer runs over to a landline, picks up the phone, calls his editor, and says, and yells in this really loud voice, Jesus is going crazy, I'm going to be a while. And slams down the phone and runs back to his computer. And I just, I'll never forget the, the craziness it was like it was like Woods jumped into a phone booth, you know, alongside right next to the eleventh tee box. Went from Clark Kent to you know who, and yeah. just took complete command of the golf tournament. I'd never seen anything like it. Now, of course, he he'd won the Masters by twelve three years earlier. Yeah, he would win the U.S. Open by fifteen. Uh, and he'd win the British, and then he'd beat Bob May in that incredible playoff and finish off Tiger Slam the following April. But to me, the way he just seized that golf tournament in February of 2000 by the throat and just basically stole it from a guy like Gogol. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I don't know, I've covered a lot of cool things in sports. Covered the Kentucky Duke uh, basketball NCAA semifinal back in uh, – or Eastern semifinal, whatever it was, when uh, Leitner hit the shot and stepped on the kid's neck and yep. all that, uh, covered a bunch of Super Bowls and Wimbledons. But I don't think I've ever seen a sporting event with that kind of quick strike brilliance as, uh, as that at Monday afternoon at, at all times at Pebble Beach. I know I asked uh, Ken Azero earlier this year, and I'll ask you, um, what was the feeling in the press room when Tiger won in 219 at the Masters? Well, that was that was that was a little different. Uh, well, very different from what I was just expecting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The thing about, the thing about 97, and look, I, and, and I'm 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 going to take a minute to pat myself on the back here, but for a reason. I won a, the GWAA award that year in 98 for that story I wrote off that Masters. Mm -hmm. And after thanking my uh, 
the people I work with. I thank Tiger for jumping out to such a big lead so early and giving me basically a day and a half to think about what to write. <laughs> I mean, he led, he led by six after 54 holes, and he really took complete control of the golf tournament on the second nine Thursday when he, he shot 40 on the front. He shot 30 on the back, and then he took off the next day. Um, in 97, it was much more gradual. It's almost like watching a flower bloom, uh, a, a bit accelerated, but sure. uh, it was history unfolding in slow motion. And it was astounding because the, the margin kept growing and growing and growing. You know, Nicholas won a PGA by nine once, but we never, Tiger completely reinvented the entire process of greatness in golf. He, he, he not only won four in a row or won this or that, he won like 73 to nothing. You know, he won football games by eight touchdowns. He won by these ridiculous margins. <laughs> Exercise complete and utter superiority over everybody else on the ground. And that was really the first in instance of that happening. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back with John Hawkins in just a minute. Don't go away. Daddy won a radio. He tuned it to a country show. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. Uh, we got with John Hawkins today. Um, you know, if you've read anything about golf in the last 20 years, you've probably read some of John's work. He, he's now with uh, Morning Read, but he's been with Golf Digest, worked with um, <clears throat> Golf Channel, uh, right on down the line. And he's and he's always got good pieces, and it's always well thought out of what he presents to you as the reader. Uh, speaking of well thought out, here's our golf tip of the week with Bruce Furman. Thank you, Bruce. We appreciate that. You can find out more about Bruce Furman down at the Langdon Farms website. Just go to instruction, and Bruce is the director of instruction there, and click on him. And maybe you can do one of his uh, little mini clinics uh, that he does on Wednesday nights or get a full private lesson with him. It's all good. So, so let's get back and talk with, with John Hawkins here. Um, do you remember what it was like, John, when you first drove down Magnolia Lane? Or saw it. You know what? See, they didn't let us come in on Magnolia Lane. They made us come in on Berkman's on the side and oh, just in this gravel gravel lot that is now the driving range. Now, hold on. I did. I said, well, I've got to drive down Magnolia Lane. It's like part of the experience. So I've done it. It was really cool. Um, it's not all that long. I, I just remember, you know, the guys I worked with at Golf World, Tim Rosefort coming to mind immediately, used to make fun of me because I was such a contrarian, you know, <laughs> you'd say it's black and I'd say it's dark blue and you'd say it's beige and I'd say it's pale white, you know? Yeah. So I thought the coolest thing was when you, you got through all the, the rows, the, the, the rows of trees are very tight 
uh, on each side of the road, and they kind of form like a tunnel. And then you pop out, and the clubhouse is right there, and they've got a flag of the United States uh, in yellow flowers. And they basically got the logo, the club logo, the Augusta right. National logo, decked out in a flower, in an ornamental uh, display. And I was just kind of blown away by all that. The amount of meticulousness and care put into everything there, it, it's, it's, it's so cool and, 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 and so impressive, yet there's such a, an anachronistic quality to the ground. It's very, it harkens back to another era. It's a very simple place. And um, it's just a wonderful place. It really, and I'm sure others have come on the show and said it. If you if you ever get the chance to go, not that you need my prodding, but if you ever get the chance to go for any reason, uh, do it because it's like it's like a, it's like no other place you'll find in terms of blending eras and you know just serving as sort of like a a museum, you know, for yeah. golf. It's really. Uh, it's it's the cathedral. That's a, that's how I think of it. Yeah, I kind of think of it as like the golf mecca. You know, you go yeah. make your pilgrimage to Augusta at least once in your life, and you know, get to see a practice round day and maybe one tournament day. If you're lucky enough, you can stay there the whole time. But maybe you can't. But at least you made it there. And of course, hit the merch tent. You know, and max out your credit card <laughs> on stuff to take home. So. Um, that's, that's the way I kind of see it. Uh, it. It's really, it's just such an icon. I'll put it that way. It's special. Yes, it's it is. And it's, and it's special. So that kind of leads me into my last question, at least in this part of the show, John, because we've only got a couple minutes here, but do you think today's younger journalists, and I'm not picking on them, but do you think today's younger journalists, writers that have enough appreciation for golf's traditions? Well, I, I, I would I would back away from criticizing uh, my brethren of any age. Sure. I think they're different. They're operating under different parameters, as I mentioned earlier. I had a chance, you know, I'd, I'd sit out at, you know, 9, 10 o'clock on a Sunday night, and I'd have 12 hours to write a story. Right. And it had to be, you know, five or six pages long, kind of like the old Time Magazine cover stories, and... My job is very different. Nowadays, they've got to get it in as quickly, quickly as they can. Don't worry about spelling or punctuation. Uh, if you're not sure about a fact, put it in bold, and we'll try to look it up. It's a very different process now. And do I think the pro- process is better? Well, no, I don't think it is at all. Everybody's in a hurry to to, to report what they saw. And... Do they have appreciation? I think I think some of them do. I think that it's a different. God, if I had a dime for every time I said the world, this is it's the world we live in. Yeah, I could retire right now, but uh, it's a different world. Social media has really changed things. The cell phone has, uh, you know, cell phones have cameras now. It's just it's a very different animal yes. than it was twenty years ago. Uh, We're going to get out of here, everybody. So I want you to all have a good week. Don't forget to listen to the show on 
the after hours on the podcast versions and stuff. And uh, from our Turn It, Don't Burn It studios here, you take care. Have a good weekend. Grilling at the Green is produced by JTSD Productions, LLC, in association with Salem Media Group, all rights reserved.